Welcome back to Daughter of a King Podcast. I am your host, Robin Pendergrass. So, the last time I was here was like day 8 of this Christmas series that I'm doing. So, I missed all the other days because there were some technical difficulties. Like, there was just something was wrong with my app that I record this podcast on. So, yeah. So I'm going to cover chapter 9 of Luke through chapter 16. And so I'm not going to like, you know, read every like, I'm not going to read everything. Because if I did, then this podcast episode would be way too long. I'm going to read like the main parts that I noticed when I was reading this. So I'm going to start with Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the de- all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you can enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others said Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. So here, Jesus was telling his disciples to go out and spread the gospel. And as disciples, that's our mission. Our mission is to go out and spread the gospel. Jesus gave these disciples the power, to, the power and the authority to use that power. Jesus had the power um, for these disciples to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he also gave them the authority to use those powers to do those things. God gives us, as disciples, sorry, as disciples, God gives us the power to do what he has called us to do. And he gives us authority, authority to use that power. So now as like a disciple of Christ, our mission is to spread the gospel. And God gives us the power and authority to do that. Now I'll read verse 18 of the, sh- of the same chapter. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples who were, who were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? So, I talked about Jesus praying, like, in the other chapters before. But, like, Jesus prayed a lot. Like, if you read closely throughout the Gospels, you will find that Jesus went to prayer a lot. So, he was alone praying. He was pressed by a situation, so he was alone praying. Prayer is a private thing. It is communion between you and the Father. It's like your way of just... Talking to God 
how anything about like anything. So when you are pressed by a situation, go unto go into a quiet place and pray to Jesus. If Jesus saw the need to pray to God, then we should see the, we should see the need to pray for, to God. Also that um thing that Jesus was worrying about was um who the he says who do the crowd say I am? So that's what he was worried about. So he was in prayer for that. So whatever you're worried about, just go into prayer for what you're worried about. Because God will carry all of your burdens. You don't have to be, you don't have to hold your burdens by yourself. You just give them to God. And you give them to God by going to God in prayer. Now I'll read verses 23. Through 26 it says then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me whoever wants to save their life will lose it whoever loses their life for me will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self whoever is ashamed of me and my words the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of and of the holy angels. So as a disciple or well, as disciples, we have a requirement that we have to reach. The first one is to deny yourself. This means to not live a self centered life, but a God centered life. Meaning that we don't not everything is about us. We don't live to fulfill our selfish desires, we we live to fulfill what God has called us to. We live a God-centered life. The second requirement is to take up your cross, and that's total submission of your will to God. So when Jesus took up that cross, He was submitting to the will of God. Like, as we go on, I'm gonna spoil it for you if you haven't read it yet, but. Jesus was kind of like troubled by what he was about to experience because he knew that it was going to be very difficult. And so he was talking to God about it. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's when he was, that's when he was on his way to die for us on that cross, to carry that cross, to take up that cross. So that's when Jesus submitted his will to God's will. So that's where the cross Cross kind of symbolizes that to like take like it symbolizes total submission of your will to God. So as disciples, we have to submit our will to God. And the next one is to follow Jesus, meaning follow His ways. Because after you deny yourself and you take up your cross, that's when you just follow Jesus and what He does. Okay, so here are some reasons as to why we should be a disciple. So, real life is found when you when you lose your life for Christ's sake. Whoever seeks to find their own pleasure in life is only losing it. Whoever seeks to bring pleasure, pleasure to God has discovered life and its meaning and its purpose. When you start living to please God, you'll find a very satisfying and fulfilling life. A lot of people don't 
think this is like satisfying because they want to do what they want to do. But we got to understand, like, God, like, there's just something about him. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, like, there's just something about him. I'm like, why do we not want to please him? It's like, it's just like, when you please God, you'll actually see what he does for you. You'll see how he takes care of you, how he fights for you. When you please him. We can't expect God to like do any do anything for us if we're not pleasing him. So what advantage is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Avoiding the walk with Jesus means that we may gain the world but end up losing everything because what's on this earth is temporary. Meaning that all this fame, all this money that we could gain on this, like on in this world, is is going to add up to nothing because it's temporary. Jesus Himself had the opportunity to, to gain the whole world by worshiping Satan. And that was that, um, that was day four of the series. If you want to go back, but so he was, he had the opportunity to gain the whole world by worshiping Satan. But he found life and victory and obedience instead. So instead of choosing riches, he chose to obey God. And that's what we need to do. Like, those who live a life that obeys Jesus is genuinely happy. We may not feel like it because, like, we like to do what we like to do. And, yeah, like, it's like people think that, like, Christianity is a whole bunch of laws and things, but if they knew how it just benefits you, then they will understand. But, like, you just, I don't know how to put it into words on what God can do for you, what he has done for me. But he's willing to do anything for you if you just come to him. If you just live life with him, he's willing to do anything for you. That's what I like about him. Like, giving our lives to Jesus all the way and living as an undersecretary person does not take away from our life. It adds to it. A lot of people think that Christianity takes away from our life, but it doesn't. Like, they think that, like, doing Christian things takes away from your life, but it actually adds to it. Don't let anybody tell you that, you know, going to church or, you know, doing Christian things is like, boring or it's like wasting your time with it like it's not worth it don't let them don't let people make you think that because it's worth it in the end trust me the bible tells us over and over as christians what we do here on earth like what we go through on earth is worth it like living with doing life with god is worth it so if you are faithful in serving him like not being ashamed of, ashamed of him, then he will be. Then he will not be sh- ashamed of you, but you will share in the glory, meaning that you will be up in heaven with him. Like as Christians, as disciples, we can't be ashamed of Jesus because, you know, we're reading the book of Luke now, and we're just seeing 
all the things that God has done for us. So why should we be ashamed of that? Why should we be ashamed of God? Like, do not be ashamed of God because God wasn't ashamed of you. He wasn't ashamed of you when he said Jesus had died on the cross for your sins. Not for his sins, for your sins. He wasn't ashamed of you. So we wouldn't be so we shouldn't be ashamed of him. Okay, now I'll read verses forty seven through forty eight. It says Jesus knowing that well hold on, I'm gonna read forty six. It said, an argument started among the, among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my, la- in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant. God cherishes the humble. He exalts the humble. Over and over, we see in the Bible how God treats the humble. Like, if you want to be great, if you if you want to please God, the best way to please Him is to be humble. That's how it is, to be humble. You know, God hates pride. I just read... And um, Proverbs, don't remember what verse, but it talks about, there were some verses that talked about what he hates. And one of the things that God hates is pride, like pride, just being prideful, the proud. He, he just hates that. And, but he says that he will exalt the humble. And we just see that if you read throughout the Bible, you'll see examples of like, you know, humble people being exalted. So if you want to be great in God in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant. Now I'll read verses fifty seven through sixty two. It said, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, The Lord first let me go to But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So when you're following Jesus, it it costs you something. And like when you're living a life for God, when you live a life for God, there's a cost. And the question that Jesus is asking here is, are you willing to pay the cost? Like these people, if you look, and I just want you to read these verses again, because if you look, they were basically like all about themselves. They were like a me type of person, me this, me that. But this goes back to 
us having to deny ourselves. When you say, me first, you're disqualifying yourself from following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny themself, yourself. And, like, when you're, when you're, like, determined to follow him, it's Jesus first. You put God before everything. That's how it is. You can't, you can't, like, put yourself above God because you're making yourself a God. That's how it is. If you're putting yourself, like, okay, so if you're putting yourself on the throne, then that's making you a God. And as human beings, we are not gods. We're not perfect. But Jesus, our king, is perfect. And he should be the one that's on the throne. So, let Jesus sit at the throne of your life. That's how, you know, as following, as disciples, we should let Jesus sit on the throne. And, you know, just humbly serve him. That's that's how it's supposed to be. Another thing is you can't go forward when you're looking backward. Meaning that you can't like you can't live a Christian life if you're always like looking at your past. I'm not saying to like forget your past, forget that you ever made a mistake. I'm not saying that because we all made mistakes before. But if you're letting your past be like a burden to you, then that's like a problem like say the people from your past like the things that God moved you from that moved you okay so just look at the things that God has moved you away from if you're like going back to those things then you're not truly following them you're not truly following God like if you're going back to you know that person that God took you away from that job God took you away from that situation that God took you away from that's stopping you from following him. So if you're looking backward, you won't be able to see what God has for you. So as disciples, we're supposed to look forward. We're supposed to like have our eyes on God and him only. So remember to look forward and focus on God and follow him. Like actually follow him and put him on the throne of your life. Like have him sit on the throne. Don't sit on the throne yourself. Have God sit on the throne. Alright, so now I'm going to read Luke chapter 10. Please bear with me because this will be a long episode. Alright, so I'm going to skip all the way to verse 16. So this is Luke chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So, if someone hates you, you shouldn't really take that personally. The only reason that someone hates you is because of the person you represent. People will hate on you because you represent Jesus. That's how it is. Like... As we go on, when, like, Jesus is about to get crucified, we'll see how much people hate him. Like, kind of now, like, kind of in this chapter, or, like, maybe later on, we'll see on how the Pharisees hate him. We know that because the Pharisees don't agree with him. So they hate him. And 
why did the Pharisees hate Jesus? It's because of who he represent. Jesus represented God, and that's why the Pharisees hated him. So don't be offended when someone hates on you, because that just shows who you're representing. And if you don't have people hating on you, then you're not doing it right. So if you have people hating on you because you serve God, then you're doing something right. So now I'm going to move on to verses 17 to 19. It says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So in the name of Jesus, we have authority of over the wicked schemes of the enemy. It's time to start exercising that power. It's time to start using what God has given us. We have the strength and the ability and the authority to just power over the wicked schemes of the enemy. God has a purpose for our life. And until the purpose is complete, God is going to preserve you. Meaning that he's not going to let the enemy's scheme harm you. For you're under God, you're under his wing. He's, um, I talked about this. I'm trying to remember where I talked. Um, when I, when I was talking about Job, how God put a protective hedge, meaning like a protective wall around Job. That's what God does for all his people. That's what he does for his disciples. When you are about your father's business, God has a hedge around you. Meaning that what the enemy tries to throw at you, you might feel it, but He's not gonna God is not gonna let you fall. God is not gonna let you fail. The enemy will not defeat you, so just please remember that. Now I'll read verse twenty. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Don't get excited over what you see. Rejoice over the fact that you're a citizen of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. So this means that, you know, like, why we should be happy when, like, God gives us something. But we shouldn't, like, you know, kind of, like, make that the focus point. Like, just only care about God's blessing and not about and not about God. Like, you shouldn't only care, like, you know, okay. God's blessings are, like, a good thing, but that shouldn't be, like, what the only thing that we care about. We should care about God more because he's the one that gave us the blessings. So, I mean, this is, like, rejoicing over the fact that God has made you a citizen of the kingdom. And as a result, you have these blessings. So... God just want to remember, God wants us to remember that he's the reason why that we're like a citizen of the kingdom. That's the whole point. Because sometimes when we are blessed, when God blesses us, we tend to forget this. We tend to forget that God has made us a citizen of the kingdom. And then that leads us to using our blessings in the wrong way. So don't forget who blessed you in the first place is what I'm trying to say. Don't forget, don't be, don't let the blessings be the focal, focal point. Don't let your blessings 
be your focal point. Let God be your focal point. Rejoice over the fact that you're a citizen of the kingdom and not over, like, over. Okay, so, <laughs> rejoice over the fact that you're a citizen of the kingdom over the fact that God, you know, the blessings that he gives you. I hope that makes sense. That's kind of tough to do, describe what I'm going to say, but I hope you get it. All right. Verse 21, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are, you were pleased to do. So here we find Jesus rejoicing in the Spirit. This shows that Jesus only found joy. Like, Jesus got his joy from God. That is where our joy comes from. It doesn't come from worldly things. It comes from God. As disciples, this is where our joy comes from God. So, just remember to, like, rejoice in the Spirit. That's, that's like, what I got. Like, remember that your joy comes from God. It's not from the, you know, the things that he blesses with you. Like, the things that God blesses you with. Your joy comes from God, not the things that he blesses you with. Just remember that. Remember um, to rejoice in the spirit. Not rejoice in what, like, I don't know how I want to word this, but, like, this goes back to not letting like the blessings be your focal point, but letting God be your focal point. And that's when, when God's our focal point, that's when we're able to rejoice in His Spirit. Hope you get that. All right. So now I'm gonna read verses twenty-five through thirty-seven. It said, "On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked." What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Wait, okay. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look at look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any tr- extra expense you ha- may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
So your neighbor is someone in need. Meaning that your neighbor is not like. Like your neighbor is basically everybody. It's just not. You know the person that lives next door to you. Like your neighbor is like. You know everyone in general. And as disciples. As Christians. We are called to help those in need. We are called to help each other out. To be kind to each other. And we shouldn't only do this on Christmas. Like, Christmas, yeah, it's a good time to do it. But we should do it all year round. Like, be kind to others all year round. Help your neighbors all year around. Man, this episode's going to be so long. I hope you're enjoying this because we're going to be here for a while. So now, I'll read verses 38 through 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from him, from her. So, so we heard this story before. But I still feel like it's you know it will always be important to talk about. So Martha was the one that was working. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, of Jesus, and learning. Oftentimes, we get so concerned about our serving God that we forget to the better part of just sitting at the at the feet of Jesus and learning. So don't just you know fall into the trap of like being involved in church, like doing. Don't like focus a whole bunch on your works. Like don't let that be like your focal point this goes back to our focal point don't let don't let your like words be your focal point your focal point should be jesus that's where our attention should be we can't do anything else if we don't take time out to just worship him and sit at his feet because a lot of time it was just like okay so say like on sunday that's the only time you really like serve god like Oh no, I'm I'm gonna do something different. So, uh Okay, so so when you're serving in church and serving in general, we and you just serve and serve and serve a whole bunch. You're gonna be focused on that. As a Christian, you're gonna be focused on your works. And as Christians, we are not supposed to be focused on our works. That was the focal point of the Pharisees. Their focal points were on the works instead of, like, you know, actually spending time and worshiping Jesus and learning from him. And we don't want to be a Pharisee. They were annoying. We don't want to be a Pharisee. We make mistakes like that, but we shouldn't be a Pharisee. We shouldn't, like, focus too much on our works. Yes, you know, doing work for God is, like, good. But we can't let that, like, override our time to worship God and to just sit at his feet and learn from him. Remember that your your quiet time should be the first 
your priority over your service. Why? Because your service comes from that time. That's what it is. Your service comes for that time. Why? Because when you're in your quiet time, you remember why you're serving God. But if you just if you don't even have that time, it's like what's the point of serving if you don't know what you're serving or who you're serving? And you won't know if you don't spend time with him. So prioritize spending time at Jesus' feet and learning from him. So now I read verses. Uh, no, not verses. Um, Sorry, I'm recording this late at night. So just bear with me. So I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. This as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray to the Father, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So your prayer is always... Your prayer should always begin with relationship. If there's no relationship established, there is like no basis for prayer. Like, like what's the point of calling God Father if you're like not in like a close father and child relationship? Yeah. So that's where you just have to build up that relationship with Him. As you continue to build up your relationship with God, your prayer life, you know, gets better. Obviously, because you're getting closer with Him. So, like, the Father's ear is always open to the children's cry. And so, if you have that relationship with God, when you can say, Father, then you have established a relationship with God. Okay, so the purpose of the prayer is not to get your will done. It says, your kingdom come. Wait. So meaning, that God's will be done. Now hold up, okay, so. So either it says your kingdom come, and in some other tra- translations, it says, "May your will be done on earth as it is in the he- in heaven." So the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done. We like to think that. I think I talked about this. I don't remember what chapter, but um, I talked about this. I think in this series, but. The purpose of prayer is not to get our will done. It's not about our selfish desires. As a disciple, we're in, we don't pray selfish prayers. We pray prayers that are that helps accomplish the will of God. Because as a, as a disciple, we are about our Father's business. So we wouldn't be worried about, you know, worldly things. We would, like, focus on what, on God, on our, about our Father's business. So the purpose of prayer is to accomplish God's will.
And so, like, the rest of that is basically Jesus teaching um, his disciples how to pray. Now I read verses 8-10. It says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of a friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely... Sorry. Um, she will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, it took a lot of boldness to for the man in the story to shamelessly ask his friend in the middle of the night uh, for bread. God often waits for our passionate, persistent in prayer. Like the man kept, he kept knocking on the door. He kept coming. He kept being persistent. Like isn't like God doesn't need to be persuaded. Our persistent doesn't change God. It doesn't change it. It doesn't change him at all. It changes us. It develops our heart and passion for what God wants. So we are told to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Jesus is speaking of single activities, but of those that persist. And so as his disciples, we are to be persistent when it comes to prayer. You may not always receive what you ask for, but some, sometimes God has something better. Sometimes a no is actually a good thing because God has something better in store for you. Okay, and another thing I'm going to point out. I can I just notice this now. Like, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, meaning that he's making his promises to his disciples. He's just not, he's not making this promise to, or to the people that just go to church just to go to church and don't actually live a Christian life. He's making this promise to true disciples. So just keep that in mind. Alright, verse 13 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So God loves to give good gifts to His children. Be open to what God has for you. Like, God loves us so much. It's like, why does anyone, doesn't want to serve you in my question, but I understand because I've been there. But, like, you know, God just blesses those who serve him so much. God loves to bless us. We just have to come to him. We just have to open up our hearts to him and let him do his thing. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to open up to him, to open up our arms to him. Once we do that, he's he got us. He like he already got you, but now he really got you. You get it? I hope you get that. Because. Okay, yeah. Let's get through this. Okay, verse 22 says, But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, 
He takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. So, this, the strong man in this scenario is Satan. But there is one who is stronger than Satan. His name is Jesus Christ. Through the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ, we can spoil the stronghold that Satan has in our life. We can, you know, just get rid of the enemy schemes. And I think I talked about this, I think in the last chapter or the chapter before. So this goes back to exercising that power and authority. We have power over Satan. And as his disciples, we are we have the ability to use that power. We have the authority to use that power. So just make sure you use it. Like don't let this don't let Satan boss you around and stuff. Because as disciples we're really not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to let the enemy get to us. We have the power and authority to defeat the devil. Verse twenty three says Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So, you can't be neutral concerning Jesus Christ. You're either for him or against him. A lot of us Christians do that. Like, we say we're for him, or are we actually living our life like we're for him? Or, like some of us live our lives as we are, are against him. So, yeah, live your life. If you're going to live your life as a Christian, make sure you live it not against him, but for him. So now I'll read verses 22. It says, But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and devised of his plunder. So the strong man in this story is Satan. But there is... But there is one who is stronger than Satan, and his name is Jesus Christ. Through the power and authority of the name Jesus Christ, we can spoil the stronghold that Jesus that Jesus has on our life. Meaning that Satan should have no hold on your life. Be- why? Because God has given you power and authority over him. This is where we have to exercise that power and use it. Just use that power. And authority that God has given us to defeat the attacks of the enemy. Verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. You can't be neutral concerning Jesus Christ. You're either for him or you're against him. It's just simplifies that you can't be a half Christian. You can't be lukewarm. You gotta either go all the way or just don't. So yeah, you're either for God or you're against Him. Now I'll read verses 25 through 26. It says, When it arrives, it finds the house wet clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. Now, final condition of that person is worse than the first. So, right here, this is where Jesus just healed a, or, okay, so Jesus healed a possessed man. So, this is like, after the fact that he drove the spirit out. But, like, after that, the man was just, like, empty. So, there's more 
and is just driving Satan out. It has to be the movement of the Holy Spirit of God to take residence within. The power of Jesus has to enter your life. You just can't stay empty. So when you give up that sin, you just can't stay empty. Why? Because that sin will easily come back to you. You have to fill yourself with the power of Jesus. You have to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit enters, the darkness has to go. Substitute that evil power with the power of God. And the only way you can get that is prayer. Verse 28 says, he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So you are blessed when you hear and keep the word of God. That goes back to like doing Christianity halfway. Like, yeah, it's important that we hear the word. It's important that we go to church. But if you're not obeying that word throughout the week, then you're not doing Christianity You're just going about things halfway. You're not being a true disciple. You're not being true with God. So blessed are you when you hear and keep the word of God. Verses 34 through 36 says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is... F- I think that, that's past where I was supposed to be. Hold up. Alright. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm doing alright. Okay. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines it like its light on you. So when your eyes are on God, then your body is full of light. God has given us light. And if you're looking at God, then it's just shining so brightly. And we're called to like shine that bright light everywhere we go. So if you're looking at what is evil, then your body is full of darkness. So just keep in mind, if you're, you can tell if you're looking at God or not. So God can tell the difference between who serves him and who don't. Like those who light are bright. Those are the people that are serving God. Those who light is dark, then they're not serving God. So God will be able to tell who is serving him and who's not. Now I'll read verses verse forty two. It says, What to you Pharisees? Because you give God a tenth of your mint, root and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect you justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So we talked about the Pharisees a few verses ago. But but the Pharisees were exact in the small matter which really didn't count and completely skipping over the important matters. They care more about their works. So don't focus on the small things that don't matter to God. Don't focus on don't like, you can do works for God because we're called to do that, but that shouldn't be your focal point. Focus on loving God. Do not focus a lot on the work. Put your eyes on, put your main focus on God. That's how it should be. Like, this goes back to Martha and Mary. 
You can't let your service override your time with God. You can't let your service be your focal point. You have to let your time with God, just God in general, to be your focal point. So that's all I'm going to read today. So I know I said I was going to read through chapters 9 and 16, but this episode is already long as it is. I wasn't expecting it to be this long. So I'm going to try my best to catch up because this episode is just going to be long if I keep going. And yeah, and I want to take my time doing this because there's a lot that I want to discuss with y'all. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and I leave my Instagram down below so you be updated when I post. Hope you are in like I just hope you have a blessed day and I hope you just store the this word in your heart. Have a blessed day.